Hello, friends. This is Michael Carey, and welcome to the Living Truth Podcast. Our guest for this podcast is New York Times bestselling author John Eldridge. We're talking about John's new book, Get Your Life Back, Everyday Practices for a World Gone Mad. Now, in the book, John points out that these practices are like a lifeline and a rescue for the soul, connecting us with God and others and filling our soul with more of what we really need in the midst of our fast-paced culture. So my first question to John is this. Tell us a little bit about your new book and what compels you to write it. Well, you know, Michael, the interesting story is I didn't intend to write this book. I, I needed it first. Uh, so this came out of a personal journey. Um, I got sucked up in the pace of life that everybody is sucked up in right now and the craziness and, oh my gosh, just the tsunami of email and texts and um, media and social and the news of the world and the heartbreak of every village on the planet, all of it, right? All that coming. I got sucked up in all that and it really... I found it really, um, well, here's what happens. So we have, we have little grandchildren now. We've got a, a little three-year-old and a two-year-old and a one-year-old. And I found that I could only play with them for about five minutes before I wanted to check my phone. I wanted to check the news. I wanted to see if any emails had come in. I wanted to like get back in the grown-up you know, connection. And I'm like, whoa. Like, these are your grandchildren. You're like, wake up and smell the coffee. And then I noticed, I noticed all these symptoms that my soul was not well. And being overconnected was one like that. And, and needing to check my phone first thing in the morning, what's come in, you know. But it was other stuff, too. It's like, I'm a reader, and I wasn't reading anymore. And Stacy had bought me a mountain bike, and I hadn't ridden it for like three months. And I just noticed that um, the world that we live in, the chaos of the hour was really drying out my soul. I felt, I felt dry. And, and so I began a journey to go, wait a second, I, I don't want to live like this. This isn't how I want to be. I want my humanity back. So I began to live this out. I began to do some things to restore my soul. And And in the course of that, ended up writing this book about that healing journey. I I know exactly what you mean, too. I found myself so many times um, having a quiet time, right? And I have an Apple Watch and the iPhone, and uh, I think the technology, they can be great. But if if my iPhone is anywhere in the house, I will find it, and I will start using it. I'll page it from my Apple Watch, and I'll go and find it. And it's it was such a distraction. I had to leave all my tech at home and go with my Bible and my journal and go out into the woods. Right. Actually, I just read some research yesterday that <clears throat> they did this on college students taking tests. If their phone was in the room, their scores were lower than if their phone was out of the room. Oh, man. I don't mean I don't mean on. I don't even mean in front of them. Like literally, if they knew it was in the room, it was a distraction. If it was literally out of the vicinity, their scores went up a full grade on the test. Right. So it is. It's a black hole. 
it's a it's a distractor uh-huh and uh yeah just um reading through your book i think i made it through first nine or ten chapters so far um it has really been that rescue with my kids um i mean that we've been through quite a bit over the past couple of weeks, came home from vacation to a bunch of work, death in the family, uh, like my calendar was hijacked. And I felt the freedom to be able to sit down with my seven-year-old daughter and read to her, you know, where without my phone. <laughs> and even oh. this morning, my 18-year-old came, uh, she got up early and got grabbed a cup of coffee. And uh, she usually doesn't do that. So I went up to her room, I felt compelled to put things aside and go up to her room and talk to her. As soon as I entered her room, she, she was open to Romans and she's reading something about how God abandoned people to their own behavior. And she's like, what? is this about dad and we had this beautiful conversation that i'm sure that i missed so many opportunities like that in the past you know you wrote uh, that god never intended our souls to live at the pace that we forced them into what was his original design right right you think about <clears throat> so the hebrew word for sabbath is shabbat and as i looked into that shabbat doesn't mean rest it literally means stop Shabbat means cease. And I, I realized, no, I, don't, I don't stop during my day. I just go. Uh, I get up and it's all good stuff. It's people I care about and it's crises in the community and, you know, it's mission in the world. And, but I, we, don't, we don't live as the human soul is made to live. We just go, go, go. And there's always a reason and there's always stuff pulling at us. I am not pointing fingers at anybody. I'm saying, this is the madness we've found ourselves in. And, and there's a way out. You just think about, okay, so Psalm 1, there's two people, two experiences, two human conditions being described there. And I am really intrigued by this. <clears throat> so one, one person is described as a tree that is planted right by a river. So its roots are constantly in the water. And it says that tree, its leaves never wither. They, they are literally an evergreen person. They never wither. I'm like, I wither, I, I wither, you know? And then it, and it says, and then everything they do, they prosper. And then it contrasts that with a person whose life is so shallow, so fragmented, so dry, that the next wind is going to blow them away. And here's the difference between the two people, because I think that's most people in the world, that, that second person, that was sure me, um, were just so dried out that, you know, the next piece of bad news just takes us out. And that, you know, one more demand, and it's the straw that breaks the camel's back. So here, what's the difference between those two people? And it's their ability to give God their lingering attention. Okay. And lingering attention. And here was the other symptom I did not like. Like you, you know, like you, I could sit down and, you know, just for some time to be with God or read or pray, and I would be distracted. And, and it, then I started reading the research on this. Nicholas Carr's book, The Shallows, What the Internet's Doing to Our Brain. He actually discovered that that the way we consume information right now, the way media comes to us, that we have, it is deteriorating our brain so that we cannot give anything our lingering attention, not our grandchildren, you know, not a book and not God. 
And that's when I went, whoa, 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 time out, time out. Like um, even the title of the book, The Shallows, that really got my attention because I, I thought, yeah, that, I feel like I've been pushed into the shallows of my of, of human experience. You know, I, I'm not playing music anymore. I'm not planting a garden. I'm not like, I don't, I don't have time to do the things that make for a human life, right? Okay. So yeah. So it's that fragmented attention. And I want to be that person. I want to be the evergreen tree. And so I, I think that there are some ways that we can begin to pull out of the madness and tend to our souls and, and begin to literally fight back for our attention. Like take your brain back, you know? Yeah. Yeah. This um, kind of brings me to this next question about, um, our heart. And uh, in the case of many of our listeners, um, we're talking about men and women who uh, deal with pornography addiction and um, finding out that their husband is having an affair and so on. And, but in, in the case of addiction, ignoring our heart, I think, is one of the top issues that leads to a relapse. And you wrote uh, that the more distracted we are, the less present we are to our soul's needs. Can you tell us more about that? And what does our soul need? You know? Exactly right. And, th and therefore, the difference between relief and restoration. So I, I, I want to say this with all compassion. This is a brutal hour to be a human being on the earth right now. Like, um, you just take the information that's coming at us. Your soul is kind of village-sized. You were meant to know and care about a community of people and their heartbreaks and their joys. And okay, but now we we are inundated with the news of the world, right? So we are fried, we are haggard, we are harried, we are spun up. And when when I'm in that condition, I I reach for relief. I'm not aware of what I'm feeling anymore. People ask you, hey, how you doing? I don't know what the answer is. I don't know how I'm doing. I'm spun up, right? I'm tired. I could say I'm tired. I'm distracted. I'm worn out. <clears throat> but I'm not aware of the soul's deeper longings. So, so you know, uh, six pack of beer or, you know, way too much chocolate. You reach for relief. I'm going to binge watch my hunting shows or whatever. Because in the moment of being really fried, we reach for relief instead of restoration. And there's a big difference between relief and restoration. And, and it's largely how you feel afterwards. <clears throat> it's like, when I'm done with the bag of donuts, when I'm done with three hours of binge watching my favorite shows, I don't feel better. I, I just sort of feel numb. But when I take a walk, and, and get into the woods for 30 minutes. Uh, I'm not talking about a vacation. I'm just talking about simple things. When I read a book, when I listen to some music for a while, I am my, it restores my soul. And I, and I think this is, this is the addictive trap here, is that the world spins us up and just gets us really harried and haggard and besieged. And then we're just aching for some relief. Just give me some relief. And, and then, you know, pornography or, you know, whatever it is, you know, that third glass of wine you shouldn't have or whatever, you know, then that it's just too appealing at that point because you're, you're so not yourself. Like literally that phrase, I'm just not myself today, right? Yeah. So 
restoration is the answer. Relief is quick and easier, isn't it? And oh yeah, re it's, restoration it's, is harder. It's yeah. more, it takes more time, maybe. Well, I don't. I don't think so, Michael. See, that's that's the big lie is that people think, well, if I'm going to get better, I got to go to Hawaii or something. You know, I, I I need it. I need a sabbatical, or I got to quit my job. We, whoa, 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 not at all, folks, not at all. Like that's not that's just not true. Um, for me, okay, so it's winter here in Colorado, and it's snowing a ton this month. Um, and one of my restorative things is to take the dogs for a walk. I just love it because I just get to let go of my day and I get to walk outside. But yesterday when I got home, it was 20 and it was snowing. And, and But I was haggard. I was everything I just described. I'd had a super stressful day, a lot of important things, some global things that I was involved in. Uh, so epic you know, things, but nonetheless, I was still fried. And the choice was put on your down coat, get the dogs, go anyway, right? Grab a wool cap. It was, it was a half an hour. That's all it took. And I could, it was almost like it was washing me as I, as I just took a walk outside. It, I could just feel the, the stress. And, and there's actually brain research on this, that the cortisol begins to drain from your body. And uh, so it, I was being washed and cleansed. What I really wanted to eat was a bunch of sugary fat things, but, but instead I took a walk and it restored my soul. And so I want to say it's actually right there. Like restoration, restoration is much more available than we know. And we've got to say that out loud and we've got to say that often because if we feel like relief is the only, is the only thing at hand, then we will reach for relief every time, right? But restoration's right there. It's right there in, in, a, in a beautiful piece of music and just the way the sunlight's coming through the window and a cup of coffee and in a conversation with a friend. Like restoration is right there. It, it, we don't have to set, you know, well, I got to get to Hawaii because that's just not going to happen today. Yeah. Yeah. And you said um, in, in your book, you talked you talked about this uh motorcycle ride on a wave or something like that in the ocean and how um you know the culture today uh gives the impression that we always have to experience god in some amazing and sensational way you know and that's uh i think that's kind of what you were alluding to as well just there yeah 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 right because the culture of the sensational that we live in now i mean the crazy stuff that, that comes into my inbox you know friends saying whoa did you see this and it's two guys jumping off a mountain in France in squirrel suits with no landing, no possible landing place within miles, but they land through the doorway of an airplane. And you just go, come on, people. Like, I know it's fantastic. It's really amazing to watch. But when that stuff is in your daily feed, it begins to, to tell the soul, unless your life is like that, your life is stupid. And unless, unless you're living some epic Christian experience, you're not finding God. So here's the interesting thing, Michael. Why, as a, as a counselor and therapist, I'm absolutely um, intrigued by this. Why does the research show that anxiety and depression rise in direct correlation with our use of social media? So the more you use social media, the more prone to anxiety and depression you are. And, and by the way, anti-anxiety meds are the number one selling pharmaceutical in the world right now. So 
people are spun up. People need help. And by the way, I bless help and I bless pharmaceuticals. And I think there's a place for it. Okay. I bless antidepressants that have been an enormous help to my wife. But the thing is, really? Because social media, like that's actually something you're choosing. You can choose how much you, you consume and how much you engage. And did you know it's doing this to your soul? And also rates of envy, uh, direct correlations, the amount of time you spend on social media. And so if we're, tr- if we're looking for restoration, part of what we can do is get out of the madness, like really simple stuff, okay? So like, don't check your phone first thing in the morning. It just, there's a real simple discipline. Just don't check your phone first thing. Make a cup of coffee, sit by the window, listen to the birds, say some prayers. Like you get to be a human being again. And God is right there. God, God is right there. The restoration's right there. You can do simple things like that. For me, it, I got to get out of the building. I, I, I got to walk outside. Because I work in an office building and there's meetings and there's phone calls and there's people in the hallway. and my my day is very very full. So what I had to do is, I, and it cracks the staff up now. Is I just get up and I walk outside the building and I just take laps. And it's I'm in a parking lot. I'm not in the you know Amazon. I'm not in the South Pacific. I'm in a parking lot, but I'm taking laps because outside I can let it go. Outside I can kind of come back to myself. Outside I feel like oh there's God there you are. You know, and so again, these are just examples of restoration is right there. God is God is right there if if we will choose a compassionate life toward ourselves, if we will if we will let ourselves be human beings again. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think I remember listening to one of your podcasts where you said uh, you, you brought a stick or something like that and put it on your desk so you can touch nature constantly, touch something that's alive I do. or whatever. I do. Uh, I have two rocks on my desk right now as we're talking. <laughs> here's a little rock and here's a slightly bigger rock. And uh, yes, like just to remind me, like reality, reality is there. We get lost in these cyber worlds and and in speculation and in our own internal chaos. And we need to be grounded in the real. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah, for sure. Now, um, yeah, my next question, I know so many people feel guilty um, that they don't have, they say that they don't have time or for self-care or they just feel guilty uh, about caring for themselves. And I know this can be true for uh, our listeners who are working through sexual addiction and betrayal as they work to incorporate self-care into their life, uh, which, which is part of, of the restoration of, of uh, uh, sexual um, addiction and so on. So you discuss in your book how self-care is related uh, to how we treat others. And can you tell me about that and, and comment on feeling guilty or too busy? Yeah. I, I was not good at self-care for years. And, and just to give your listeners a little something more to think about, for me, that was really grounded in my lack of mothering. I had a very, uh, my mom was a very professional woman. She went back to work immediately and she did not retire until she was 75. And so I never saw, I never saw her. I don't have any memories of playing with my mom. I, she, would, she didn't abandon us in, in a physical sense, but she did in an emotional sense. 
I don't have any memories of my mom reading me a book. And so when you have that kind of barrenness in the soul, you go looking for relief. And I, I looked for it in girls. I, I look for it in early sexual experiences. I look for, you're looking for love. You're looking for relief. It has very little to do with sex. Very little, right? You're, you're looking for comfort. You're looking for solace. And if you didn't get mother love, what you're looking for is essential love. It's first love. It's, it's primal love. It's like that first love experience. And that is really, really huge to understanding a lot of our drivenness. So she did. Okay. The other thing is that mother teaches mercy. You know, if a little boy wants to jump off, you know, the roof or he wants to climb the tree, who does he ask? Mom or dad? Hmm. Oh, dad, for sure. Yeah, dad, for sure. Right. Because dad's going to say, yeah, far out. You know, and mom's going to say, no, honey, don't do that. You'll hurt yourself. But if he does fall and skin his knee, where does he go? To mom. He goes to mom. Yeah. Okay. So mothers teach mercy. Um, and my mother was not a merciful person. And so over the years, I didn't learn mercy. I, I was not merciful toward myself. I, di I, was, I didn't live a compassionate life until the question you just asked, until I began to realize that it was hurting the people around me, that, that if I couldn't be compassionate towards myself, I couldn't be compassionate towards my wife, my kids. You know, if my... If my way with myself was suck it up, then my way with everybody else is basically suck it up, right? And, and, and then I read C.S. Lewis's brilliant little essay, Two Ways with the Self. Um, and, and in it, he's talking about the self is not something that we're supposed to hate. Um, in fact, and then he uses that famous passage, love your neighbor as you love yourself. And he says, how are you going to be able to do that? If, if you don't like yourself very much, or if you, don't if you don't take care of yourself, right? So the big idea that I put in the book is the way you treat your own heart is the way you will treat everyone else's eventually, right? And so learning self-care, I think for a lot of us, and for me, part of the beginning of it, back to my grandchildren, was I, this matters to other people. I may not be able to do it specifically or only for myself, but I can do it on behalf of those I love. Because I want to be a better grandpa. I want to be a better friend. I want to be a better dad. I want to be a better husband. And, and so um, it's, it's absolutely changed the culture at our ministry. Because uh, I, I really set the pace in the first 10 years um, of go. The pace was go. Let's get a bunch of stuff done. Let's save a bunch of people. Let's conquer the world. You know? And then we, we realized we just, we just hit burnout. And we're like, we can't keep up this pace. What is... What does a compassionate life look like within us so that then we can share a compassionate life around us? And, and that's, uh, that, that, that's been a huge, huge uh, help to me in learning self-care and in learning soul care. And here's the other, let me riff on something else for a second, Michael, because this was one of the mind blowers as I, as I began to do this process. Of, of recovering my soul and getting out of the madness somewhat. I mean, I still work. I still, I've got an iPhone. I, and I do email every day a lot, you know. Um, I listen to the news, all that. But, but I, needed, I needed a different way. And I needed to find soul care within my real life. This, this morning, I was telling Jesus that I really do want to go to Hawaii, but it's not going to happen. So I need to practice some things today 
to take care of myself. But here, here was the other big epiphany. As I began to do this, I realized the soul is the vessel that God fills. The soul, he restores my soul, Psalm 23. The soul is the way that you experience God. It's, it's, it's where you, um, your joy comes from. It's, it's what allows you to love. It's what allows you to enjoy your life and enjoy the little things. You know, if you're a gardener, you're, it's because your soul loves it. If you're a surfer, it's because your soul loves it. You know, if you love bicycling, it's because your soul loves it. Okay, so if your soul, if the world shrinks your soul and shrivels it like a raisin, your soul can't even receive God. And, and this, this was it for me, because I was looking for God. I was asking for God. I knew I needed more of God. I knew that was the answer. Ultimately, what I need is the living waters flowing through my being again. But my soul was so dried out, I, I, couldn't, I couldn't receive the grace he was trying to give. And that's why he was saying, look, we, we've got to restore your soul. You need to take care of your soul so that then you can receive more of God. And, and you can receive the life I want for you. It's like the desert. You know, when the thunderstorms come to the desert, all that water just runs right off. It's why there's flash floods, right? It's because it's the, gra- the ground is so hard, it can't receive the very thing it needs, right? Like the very thing it needs. And, and that was me. And, and that, was, that was my lifestyle. It had a lot to do with lifestyle, if we're honest. And distraction and my fragmented attention and looking for relief instead of restoration. It had to do with all that. But for me, the deeper work, Michael, is this, is that if we will begin to care for our souls, we will be able to receive more of God. We will. And then the, then the healing really gets going. Right. Because as you're able, then you're that tree in Psalm one as you as your roots begin to reach back down to that river, the river of life that's available to all of us, then, oh, my gosh, then the tree really starts recovering and it really starts healing. And so there's this wonderful momentum that builds that a little bit of soul care leads to a little better. And then suddenly there's God and then the two of you and your soul is getting really better. And then, wow, you know, then. You're like, man, I, I don't want relief. I, I, I know the difference now. I don't, I, don't need, I don't need to binge, and I don't need to get hammered tonight. I, I know what I need, and I know where I can find it, right? I need, I need God, and I need everything he's pouring for me. You know, and it might be music, and it might be a walk, and it might be beauty. Beauty is so healing. So, yeah, that, just that, that the epiphany for me was... Your soul is the means by which you experience the grace of God. It, 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 therefore, take care of your soul so that you can have more of God. Yeah, right. Yeah, guard your heart above all things, as the scriptures say as well. And that's um, what we haven't been doing. Uh, yeah, finish the verse. Sure. Finish the verse. Because... Um, Where's my Bible? Wait a minute. <laughs> because it is the wellspring of life within you. There it is. There yeah, it is. Proverbs 4.23. <laughs> Guard your heart because it is the wellspring of life. Not because your heart is bad. Not, not because your heart's going to blow up your life. But because if the John 7, Jesus says, the rivers of living water flow from within us. Your heart and soul is where you experience that. It's, it's where the life of God is able to flow through you. And, 
and do all of its wonderful healing work and love other people and help you find your career and help you realize your calling and all that stuff. Right. Mm, yeah. 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 So yes. And amen to that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I love uh, where, where you began in the book is um, you start with the simple uh, and you call it the one minute pause. Uh, my wife and I downloaded the the app uh several months ago and we we love it we've recommended it to many people and they have benefited from it um and it's uh, it's re- really an awesome design too would you tell us uh, about the one minute pause what is that about okay again so it's got to everything we're talking about has to fit in our real lives right now right? It's not the three-month vacation in Tuscany. You know, I mean, if you can get it, get it. But most of us can't. So as Jesus began to show me ways to heal my soul and come back to sanity and get out of the madness, he literally started with something as simple as 60 seconds, a one-minute pause. And I pull in the driveway at the end of the day, totally fried, totally spun up, turn the engine off in my truck. But before I move, I just sit there, lay my head down on the steering wheel, and I just take a moment. And, I, and in that pause, I let it all go. I just let it all go. I, I, there isn't anything I can do about the world right now. There isn't anything I can do about that email I wasn't supposed to send or whatever it is that has me all, you know, cranked. Just pause. And, and this is back to that Shabbat idea of like, what was the pace that God had for our lives? Well, he, he, um, learning to pause in our day, learning to pause in our week, learning to pause in our month, learning to pause in our year, like building a pause back in 60 seconds. And, 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 and it is amazing how healing it is. And it became so, it, it's addictive in a really good sense because it's so, it's so restorative, you just want more of it. <clears throat> so we put, we, now in our offices at 10 o'clock and two o'clock every day, monastery bells ring out. And it's very disruptive because a meeting may be going on or you know people are walking down the hallway, but everybody knows 10 o'clock, two o'clock, pause. The whole staff just stops. And it's silent, but just quiet. And we're just letting our souls stop spinning. Just stop spinning for a moment. Like get settled, come back to yourself. And again, the beautiful thing is, and God is right there. He's right there. And you're able to find him. And so, yeah, it became so wonderful that we made an app. Uh, There's a free app on the App Store called One Minute Pause by Ransomed Heart iPhone and Android. And, and on the app, you can go through, there's a one minute, a three minute, a five minute, and a 10. And it guides people through, a, there's music and prayer and, and stillness. And, uh, you know, so what I want to say is like, um, one minute game, like you can do that. that. That is doable. There's nobody in the world that can't do that. 60 seconds, right? And you, you can do it, uh, you know, on the train if you're commuting or you can do it on the bus, just put your headphones on or, you know, you do it in your office or you can sneak out of your office like I do and walk around the building and get your paws outside. You know, like this, this is doable. 
and, and the pause begins to heal the pace of your day. And the pause begins to help your soul. And literally, it helps your body. There's, there, again, there's brain research on this. Like, you calm down. Thanks for that. That's, that's awesome. Uh, I wanted to ask you about chapter two in your book. It's called Benevolent Detachment. Can you tell us what that's about? I think of all practices, this is the one that's saving my life the most. And, <clears throat> you know, there are these passages, like when Jesus says, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. Uh, that verse is actually how Stacy came to Christ years ago as a college girl uh, whose life was just really falling apart. And the invitation, come to me, all you who are weary and carry heavy loads, come to me, Jesus says, learn from me, walk with me, and, and you will discover freely and lightly, because my way is, is freely and lightly. And I, I would read that over the years and go, what? I don't, I don't know that I get that. And, and then 1 Peter 5, he says, cast all your cares upon the Lord because he, he cares for you. And it was only, Michael, when I got to the point that I just couldn't carry the world anymore, it was, it was just too much. There's too much heartache around me and um, too much genuine, you know, I'm taking some people to the hospital today. You know, it's just life around us is hard and life within us is hard. And I just got to the point where I just said, Jesus, I just can't carry this anymore. And, and, and he said, let me teach you something. And so I, I call the practice benevolent detachment. Benevolent because I'm not angry. I'm not pissed. I'm not checked out. It's not something I do because um, I hate it's kindness in benevolence. I got to let this go. I got to detach. I got to detach. And, and, and learning to literally do what First Peter 5 says of Jesus, I give everyone and everything to you. And this is where I began back to the driveway at the end of the day, you know, pulling my truck in, turning the engine off, but not getting out yet. Just sitting, sitting in my truck and pausing and then practicing detachment in a very benevolent way. Like, okay, I released that person I just counseled to you. I released that podcast I just did that I don't know how it went. I, 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 I released the news I just heard about the fires in Australia killing 1.9 billion animals. You know, it's just tragedy all around us. And I gotta let it, I gotta let it go, God. I, I gotta let it go. And so but then I began to practice it in the day as well. You know, you get off a phone call with your insurance agents and you're, you're, you're mad. And you're like, I let it go. I let it go. I let it go because I want my soul free and light and well. And, and I can't let this stuff just dogpile me every day. So learning, learning benevolent detachment, learning to detach from all the chaos, let it go. Even our kids, Stacy and I do this at bedtime at night. We name things and we, we just stop for a moment and say, okay, Jesus, we give everyone and everything to you. I give you my mom who's 80, 89 and, and living with my sister. And I don't know how many months or years she has left. And I give you my kids. I, I can't carry them, God. And so in a loving way, we're just turning everything back over to Jesus. And, and here's the brilliance of the, of the one-minute pause. You say, I can't do that. I can't do that. <clears throat> and you go, you can do it for a minute. 
You can do it for what, like, just pause and just let it go in that 60 seconds. And then your soul begins to learn how to do it. And you go, oh, I, I actually can do that as I leave work today. And you go, oh, wow, I can actually do that as I go to bed tonight. And wow, you begin to discover, oh, wait a second, I really can learn to let it go. You know, we're in election year and, and people are going to get really spun up over all that. And you got you to just let it go. You just let it go. And learning benevolent detachment is, oh, my gosh, it is so healing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yes. I know that this book is, it is going to be a lifeline for so many. Um, I was just reading in your newsletter that um, you think that it's going to be uh, going to have the same impact as wild at heart. Um, and, uh, and that, that kind of effect, that ripple effect of lives that are going to be restored and changed as a result of these practices. So I uh, hope so. Yeah. Because I, yeah. I, I care about people. I mean, this is a brutal hour to be a human being in. And I, I think the book is speaking deeply to right where people are at right now. For sure. Well, thanks so much for writing this book and for being on this podcast, John. I really appreciate it. I really enjoyed speaking with you. Yeah, me too. Thanks, Michael. Friends, I am so glad that you joined us for today's podcast. If you want to get a copy of John's new book, Get Your Life Back, of course, you could go to Amazon.com or just about anywhere else that you could buy a book these days. And for more information about John and his ministry and the resources that they have to offer, the website is ransomedheart.com. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast so you don't miss any episodes. And I would love it if you would click on the stars and give us a rating. And if you'd like more information about our ministry, Living Truth, and the resources that we have, our website is living-truth.org.